Why are we starting a podcast right now? Because Eric Stamets is next up at bat. Former Indians shortstop extraordinaire. Now with the Colorado Rockies here at Salt River Fields in Scottsdale, Arizona. Where I'm sitting watching the seventh inning of a spring training game. That's really when you want to pay attention to. That's when things are just... The fans are most into it at that point. It's the players you came out to spring training to watch. So I'm actually kind of saddened that I'm taking you away from this and that you won't be able to to then put that into your article later and tell everybody what happened from the seventh inning on. I do apologize. Yeah, I mean, you've got number 79 at first base right now. You've got, you know, it, it's. I feel bad for the Indians minor leaguers who aren't in big league camp and then they come in and replace some of the starters in these games and the ones in minor league camp don't have names on the back of their jerseys so you're trying to figure out who just came in to replace logan allen the mound and the scoreboard thankfully says ben krauth who i believe actually had some good numbers a couple of seasons ago and was someone who could be intriguing but i mean i wouldn't know him if my as my mom always said i wouldn't know that person if they spat in my face and that is the case um but you know what sometimes it's fun watching these late innings and like Brian Shaw just pitched the sixth or the fifth and gave up two runs. So it was just like old times. Why do you got to open up that can of worms, man? It had been put up on the shelf, gone probably forever. And now thanks to you, it's back. I do love when they play at salt river fields though. I know you don't like it because then you got to travel over that direction, but we actually get stat cast data from the second game of the season. So I can look at (laughs) Zach Plesak and see if he's full of shit. Man, what's your average fastball doing? You said it had more life. You said you spent all this time worrying about, worried about being powerful and following what Clevenger did with his delivery. I got to see some proof now. He backed it up. His fastball was just like a couple of ticks better on the average. So credit to him. And he was, pleased, he was pleased with his curveball, uh, which he, I know he made some changes to over the winter. He looks like he seems so much more comfortable. I mean, he always seemed a little... As Bobby Bradley, skies one to right center. Um, he always seemed a little uncomfortable last year. Just I mean, it was there was so much. Oh Jesus! Seventh inning stretch. Yes. Um, <laughs> Everybody stand up. Get it. Get a good uh, stretch that one out. You can use but that. it's always it's always fun that if you're driving. I, I'm not even that? gonna. I'm not even gonna attempt to talk over this. Come on, everybody sway in your cars, at your cubicle. <laughs> everybody together, sing it along. The best is when the Indians go to extra innings and they get to the 14th inning and they play the the 14th inning stretch. Remember those nights when it's one in the morning and yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's exactly when you want to be there, listening to this again. All right, here we go. <laughs> one, two, three strikes. Three strikes you're out. out. God, who didn't enjoy that? You don't get that on your podcast. <laughs> anyway, you know, it's it's always fun watching guys go from Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun watching guys go from year one to year two and just seeing how much more confident they are. And... <laughs> no, really, give me your, your take. I want to hear it. I gotta hear it. A, a, I can't even hear myself this, think. This amazing soundtrack that's being played at Salt River Fields. I'll tell you what, they didn't steal the CD from Goodyear. I can tell you that. 
when I was originally, when we said we wanted to do this podcast today, I was looking at where I should sit when we record this, thinking, eh, maybe somewhere quiet, somewhere comfortable. And I was going to go out, you know, they have like the grassy area, the hills in the outfield. You can put down a towel. Hey, let's turn it up another notch. Great. <laughs> you can lay down on the grass and watch the game from the outfield. And I just noticed in the outfield, they have... These, that's where all the giant speakers are that they're pumping in this audio. So I'm glad I at least chose the opposite end of the stadium for this. But Fantastic. I'm sure people are just turning us off right now. Um, oh, anyway, forget that. We saying, need that the three minute mark of every podcast now from here on out. It's always cool seeing guys year one to year two. They're so much more comfortable. They're confident. They believe in what they're doing. And I think Plesak fits that bill this year. Kind of like how we saw Bieber last year. Sure. And I think there there's just something positive to having. And I was just going back over stuff that Plesak had said from, from Tribe Fest. Because I, I couldn't remember exactly what he had said about his fastball and, and what he and Clev had done this offseason. And it to have somebody that's not only pushing you, but is someone that he considers a good friend and someone on your team, that's like a – that's a nice little combination of everything to perhaps get the most out of somebody's talent in an off season that he's, he's being guided by somebody that has recently gone through some changes himself, some positive changes. You already know Clevenger is a guy that is intense and is going to approach everything at 110 miles per hour. And so when you put somebody with him alongside him, can't take any days off. What is he just going to let Clevenger blow, blow by you with the work that he's doing? No, you're going to, want to get after it with him and I think that couldn't have been a better combination of two guys working together this offseason I don't think it's almost like before Trevor Bauer existed did we just all assume that none of these no players ever like helped each other get better <laughs> like well, I don't was, know why it was the blind leading the blind at that point no one really yeah. knew what the hell they were talking about I don't know why it just seemed like Trevor Bauer was the first one to ever help his teammates I know that's not the case but it just seems like that's where we start in the timeline because now you can see like Clevenger has taken that and sort of carried the torch and, and he's helping some of the younger guys. And I know maybe it's because Corey Kluber was kind of a quiet leader and wasn't the type of person who would, I don't want to say not go out of his way, but he just, yeah, he's, he's not going to drag you. He's not going to drag you. That's, this was what Andrew Miller said. He's not going to drag you into the, the weight room to go lift weights with him. He's, right. That's just, that was not Kluber's personality. He also said, if you're not following what he's doing and trying to mimic it, you're an idiot because he's a tremendous resource just to be able to watch every single day. And so you'll eventually see it with, you know, I'm sure Plesak and, well, I, I kind of think Savali is so much like Kluber in so many ways. Um, so I don't know if he'll be the type of guy who, you know, goes and, like you said, drags Tristan McKenzie or Logan Allen or Scott Moss into the weight room or the film room, but... It just seems like when you have those types of players paving the way for you, it just makes sense to pay it forward, right? You, you would think so. And now you, you're having pitchers so much more uh, data-driven, knowing the right language to speak and how to translate that to other teammates that maybe aren't as familiar with it. So it, because it has become more commonplace... You know, in years past, you would probably work out with somebody and say, well, he's got good results, so I'll just try to do what he's done. Or I'll look at his swing and I'll try to do that. Maybe that works out for me. Now you actually have proof of 
what works, what doesn't work. You can train yourself to think in the right ways. Even Shane Bieber last year, I had a conversation with him in spring training, and he was talking about his changeup and what he was doing to work on it. And he didn't have a track man. He didn't have edgertronic data to work through throughout the offseason, but he has had that in the past. He had worked with that sort of thing, and he had in the back of his mind all the things that he knew were necessary to help develop a pitch. He was thinking the right way. You know, where, where do my... Where does uh, my pinky leave the ball? Where, does, where do I put my hands here? How do I throw this? How do I get the, the most efficiency on this pitch? So even just thinking the right way, knowing the right questions to ask and how to seek the right answers are so much more beneficial. And I, I think this it can, it can all come back yeah, to Trevor Bauer here because you had somebody that was speaking that language and was able to translate it. It made, something that, it made it something that wasn't so scary to a lot of guys. And now you're seeing it pay dividends a couple of years later. Yeah, I feel like we talk about pitching development and teaching so much on this podcast because it is what this organization prides itself on. And, and well, it, I have that's a, so much more advanced, I think, than the hitting yeah, aspect. Of course. And it's, I think it's also easy, a little easier for us to understand just because hitting is so much more. <sighs> pitching, you can break it down to like the smallest common denominator where it's like, if I do this and my body is positioned this way, and I throw it this way, you know, these are the results I expect to get. And if I just practice that over and over and over again, this is what can happen. Whereas hitting, it's like, well, even if I do everything right, I still don't exactly know where the ball is going to go once I hit it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I mentioned this last podcast, and I know you wrote about Adam Plutko's curveball earlier this winter, and, and I've got a piece coming on The Athletic on whatever day it is, whatever it is tomorrow after we record this um, and he was saying, you know, he's a smart guy and he's known Trevor Bauer for a long time. They pitched at UCLA together. Um, but he still even said like, I, I don't quite understand everything about spin efficiency and, you know, uh, the sorts of things he's got to do with his fingertips to make sure his curveball is coming off his hand properly. And, you know, he worked a lot over the off season with Eric Binder, who's, the, he's the vice president of baseball operations, but he's basically their new Derek Falvey, which is just like the, the data pitching guru. And he, you know, he would text Ruben Niebla and Brian Sweeney and Carl Willis and just say like, am I understanding this properly? Because if I am understanding this properly, then I think this is what I need to do. And they would say, yeah, that's right. And that's a good idea. Like they, they have long, even back to Mickey Calloway, the Indians have, they don't want to just force a ton of information upon players and they like when players figure it out themselves because that's, that's how you learn it better. I mean, that goes back to basic grade school where it's like, if I just tell you do this and do this and memorize this, well, you're not really learning it and you're not understanding the why behind it. Um, and when you do understand all that, that makes you better. And then you can make adjustments based on what's working and what's not. And you can be a better pitcher. So it's been, it was interesting listening to Plucko talk about, you know, him trying to grasp all this complicated science, basically, and how it helped him figure out, okay, this is the type of curveball I need to be effective. Here's how I can throw it effectively. Um, and he'll pitch for the first time this spring I, on Wednesday in Peoria, and you'll get your first bit of feedback from opposing hitters. Well, we got feedback from our listeners today, which oh, I'm no. always thankful for. And they submitted that feedback in the manner of asking questions. Hashtag Dear Godcast. You and I 
we might not be able to answer the question, but we can sure fill, fill five minutes worth of words of attempting to do it. I love just talking in circles. It's what we do better than anybody else, I think. Why don't you get to the questions? Using the hashtag Dear Godcast, we did get a number of questions, people sending those via Twitter, at Selby is Godcast. And thank you to everybody that has recently followed Selby is Godcast on Twitter because we just recently had a nice little bump, and we always tweet out all From of our Bill new Selby himself. Yeah, that's right. We tweet out our new episodes. You can help support the podcast. You can really find all the links you'll ever need at Selby is Godcast. And the DMs are always open. So if you just want to slide in there and say what's up, we do appreciate it. Hashtag Dear Godcast. Our first one comes from Baby Yoda Content Consumer, who brings up Lonnie Chisinau retiring. The news recently coming out. First round pick of the Indians, formerly been signed with the Pirates, didn't make it to the major leagues last year because he continues to have calf issues. He says he's got a family. It just doesn't make sense to travel around the country anymore. He's been injury plagued. He's calling it a career. Was that career a bust, though? Ah. You know, he also wanted us to pronounce the name of the catcher who started in the Indians' first spring training game at the first RBI of the Indians' season. Uh, I think just because, unless you heard Tom Hamilton say it on the broadcast yesterday, you probably haven't heard it. It's Gongquan Giligilau. Uh, and his teammates call him Geely, and he speaks three languages, and he is a riot and is beloved in that clubhouse. I know that name has sparked a lot of inquiries and commentary, but it is Giligilau. Um, he was Lee Jen Chu last year and wanted to pay homage to his aboriginal Taiwanese tribe by going with his original name. So, Lonnie Chisenhall. Um, first of all, pour one out for Lonnie. And you make sure it's water in a Gatorade cup, as he would have wanted. You know, it's weird because they had such a terrible string of first-round draft pick results up until um, Lonnie Chisenhall. Like That was from, like, what, like 2000 to 2007? It was just abysmal. And then Lonnie was, like, one of the first ones to actually make the majors and stay in the majors for a little while in Cleveland. And because of that, I think maybe I, I lean toward it was not a bust and that it was a success because he had he had some productive seasons, especially once he switched to mostly a platoon role in right field. He just couldn't stay healthy. But I think any time, I mean, baseball is such a crapshoot, and he was a later first-round pick. So I feel like any time you can deliver some value, I, I feel like that's a plus and, and, and stick around as long as he had. I think if you if you really go back and look at all the players – what was he drafted? Like 20, 29. 20, 29, yeah. yeah. If you go back and look at all the 29th overall picks, I'm sure I would think that he's he, he fares pretty well. Yeah, I, I, went, I, went back, I went back a little bit. Um, he was drafted in 2008. I went through 2007, 2006. I went back a handful of years, and pretty much everybody that was drafted that late at that position in recent or around this time didn't even make it to the major leagues. The fact that he made it to the major leagues, you already feel like maybe half of the bus title is gone just by doing that, especially getting picked at the, the back end of the first round. Because I think you hear first round pick and it's natural to think somebody that is top 15, top 20. And, and that wasn't Lonnie here in this case. But breaking it down by war, it's the easiest way to do it over a baseball reference in 2008. 
Lonnie Chisinau ranks 12th in the first round as far as career war. He's exactly at nine. The guys in front of him are Buster Posey, 42.1, Garrett Cole at 24, Lance Lynn, 22.2, Eric Cosmer, 15.3, Brett Lowry, Lowry, I always forget, 15.1, Jake Odorizzi, 13.3, Logan Forsythe, 12.5, Jason Castro, 12, Aaron Hicks, 11.9, Andrew Kashner, 11.5, Wade Miley, 11.1, and then down to Lonnie Chisenhall at 9. Directly below him, former Indian Yonder Alonzo is at 8.3. What makes this tough? That's pretty good. Like, right there, that's... You know, okay, that's fine. You were probably about mm, midway point of, I mean, Buster Posey and Garrett Cole and Lance Lynn are, break, are, are breaking the average war of the first round by being as good as they are. But if you look at, like, with a median first-round pick, he's, he's right there. The problem for Lonnie is he's not going to accumulate any more war. He's, he's done. Everybody around him on this list is still active. So part of it is just out of his hands because it's, it's injury-based. He, he would still be playing today if it wasn't for the calf injuries. In fact, he had seemingly figured something out offensively over the past few years, and he had gotten himself to a point where he's been about a league-average hitter throughout his career. I don't, I, the first you would have to determine what is a bust. Is somebody that has a bunch of injuries that's out of their hands, is, does that qualify them for being a bust? I think that's Yeah. Tough. Well, but sometimes, I mean, that's, I, I think it is fair to say that someone who's injury plagued is a bust, but I don't, yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I think bust is a little harsh for him. I think he had enough. Yeah. I think he, maybe not exactly what you're, you're hoping for when you draft him and he comes up through right. the system and people hear his name and you Especially think, okay, he this... couldn't stick at third base. He sticks True. at third base. Yeah. That's a lot more value probably. Um, sure. You know, it's, it does feel like the Indians have had, like, it feels like Lonnie Chisenhall or someone identical to Lonnie Chisenhall has been playing right field for the Indians for, like, 30 years, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, we could trace it back to, like, David DeLucci and, um, yeah, I mean, Tyler Naquin kind of seems like he's the same mold. You know, I wonder if Daniel Johnson is just going to keep that tradition yeah. going for the next six or seven years. But it just seems like they've had a platoon in that at that spot forever and, and Chisholm Hall was I mean he had some partners right he had Brian yeah. Rayburn for a little while he had Brandon Geyer Brandon Geyer he had uh uh what's his face Collins McCowgill Marlon he... Bird for a yes yeah yeah I when Jerry you Jerry Sands some... yeah maybe maybe I don't know if that okay in any case, when you draft somebody in the first round, I think you envision this will be a guy that hits a big playoff home run for me. And Lonnie Chisinau hit a big playoff home run off David Price in the ALDS in 2016. Lefty, lefty. Yeah, helped them take a commanding lead in that series that they would never give up and caught the final out of that game, or game three. All right, Louis B. using the hashtag here podcast. Is Domingo Santana better than the person screaming in the background? Is Domingo Santana better than Hanley Ramirez slash Cargo? Go sign him. Lord almighty, I hope so. From the Indians. I mean, that... Oh, it got to a point where it was really, really hard to watch both of those guys last season. Sometimes it's tough to tell whether a player has, like, fallen off the cliff. Are they completely washed up? Do they have anything left to give? Sometimes guys surprise you. It was, like, clear as day. Those two just didn't have anything left. Domingo Santana's younger, 
you know, you're only probably asking him to does it be DH. And as long as he's healthy, I mean, he's proven that he, he has a lot of potential. So I would certainly hope that he is better than those two guys because, I mean, Hanley Ramirez hasn't been heard of since the day the Indians let him go. And I know Carlos Gonzalez bounced around. You know, he signed a minor league deal with the Cubs. And I think he's back. Is he back with the Rockies this spring? He is. Who did he sign with? Let me look. Or no, I'm thinking of Ubaldo Jimenez, which, yeah, like, I don't think Domingo Santana is at that stage of his career where it's like, all right, if this season doesn't work out, you're done. Yeah, he's with the Mariners now. Signed this offseason. I won't believe it, though, until he gets clean up and then is designated for assignment the next day. Right. Chris says, guys, going to Phoenix for a Tribe Spring game for a bachelor party next weekend. Besides oh, Panda Express, what are some must-hit places or experiences out in Phoenix? Whew. Well, there's a brand-new casino that just opened up uh, kind of near Glendale, about 15 minutes from Goodyear, and you can win all the cash that they've taken from me. Um, I always struggle with this question because I stay in Goodyear because I prefer the very short, easy drive to the complex every morning. And I will, I mean, I've said on here, like Goodyear is not where you want to go. If you're looking like, (laughs) I don't have food recommendations. It's 98% just chain restaurants and fast food places. And then the other side of the equation is that like Phoenix has so many places and I wouldn't even know where to begin, but I would, I would guess I would just say, check out places in Phoenix and Scottsdale. Um, and you know, Glendale, like the Westgate area is cool and they keep building it up. So you can always have fun. There are plenty of restaurants and bars and places to go. Um, there's like three or four top golfs, if that's your thing in the area. I know there's Scottsdale, Glendale, and I, I would stay over, I would stay over in the Peoria uh, direction because I, there's more to do and there's not a ton to do over there, but there was just more to go do. And I didn't mind the morning drive. You know, I needed like 25 minutes in a Red Bull to actually get warmed up and, and able to think about questions for that day. So I have, I have no real recommendations. I'm sorry. If it's your thing and you're not too hungover, I mean, I've gone on like five hikes already this um, it's How many snakes so, have you come across? No snakes. A couple little lizards. Um, but there's just there's so many different mountain ranges and park areas and trails you can go to. So you get some cool views. But again, if you're here for a bachelor party, I don't know if that's going <laughs> to fit onto the itinerary. Uh, probably not unless you want to end up like the hangover. Gabriel says, guys, does Fon Mil Reyes dethrone Jose and Mario Kart? Does anybody dethrone Jose? Oh well, he gave Jose gave his own power rankings last year, late last season. He just randomly started pointing at people in the room and ranking them. And I want to say Bieber was like fourth because he was Bieber was very unhappy with that ranking because Bieber has beaten Jose a couple times. I can't remember. I think he put Clippard up near the top. Of course, he was first. I didn't. I don't think I saw Framil Reyes play it last year. I, we'll have to see if that changes this season. But um, you know, the thing is, someone asked me. They don't have that setup in Arizona, but I had heard maybe a year or two ago that Jose will invite minor leaguers over his house or wherever he's staying in Arizona. He'll invite them over to play MLB the Show and then just kick their asses and then send them on their merry way. 
I feel like which character you pick in Mario Kart says a lot about your personality. That that fair? Yeah, I mean, I'm always Wario, and he's like the asshole who yeah just like yells. Ex- exhibit A. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Pletko, I know, always goes with just Mario. He's the only guy that I know that just <laughs> goes. He's just Mario. It's not Baby Mario or Metallic Mario or any other versions of Mario. It's just regular old Mario. Every time I've seen him playing it, he's just Mario. Well, and Jose's always Bowser because the spikes on the shell yeah. match his hair. Luke says, what would be your ideal outfield? Out of the players that the Indians currently have access to, including Luplo against lefties. What's your ideal outfield? I mean, I guess Fran Mill, Reyes in right, Mercado in center. Yeah, I mean, that's... L- Luplo, Naquin in left, I guess. But, I mean, if, if Naquin is not available, I don't, yeah, I don't, don't know. Don't tell him that. Dude's kicking down the door to try to play right now. So your options would be what? Bowers, Zimmer, DeShields, Daniel Johnson, and Greg Allen? Yeah. I guess Bowers? I don't Daniel Johnson's had a sprained ankle. I don't. He's not making the opening day roster anyway. Well, I, but that, but really this is your ideal outfield. There's just so much unknown with Daniel Johnson. But I do think he can at least fill that Naquin role at some point this yeah, year or I, next year. I agree. I think that's the the very least of what he probably can do. And so I, I would say he, all things ideal, as Luke says, I would put Daniel Johnson in left, let him play against the righties, Luke low against yeah. the lefties. Uh, but uh, but again, Tyler Naquin has uh, doesn't seem to want to let anybody else play because he's trying to make it back for opening day because he's a psycho. <laughs> um, Michael Marsh, why not? Just make the Astros announce what pitch they are throwing every pitch this offseason. I like that. That's a great did idea. You, did you see the first at-bat for Jose Altuve today? I did not. So they were playing the Tigers at wherever the Tigers play in Florida. Beautiful Lakeland, Florida. That's right. And he got booed to high heaven. That's a shame. Yeah, just, just booed out of the ballpark. With Alex Bregman on deck, and so I didn't see the video of what happened to Bregman afterwards, but I can't imagine it was any less. I like how the cre- it's, it's bringing out people's creativity, thinking of ways to punish the Astros. Someone mentioned, like, the Astros should get a postseason ban, but the league shouldn't announce it until the trade deadline. <laughs> Just to, like, oh, God, as a foul ball lands directly behind me. Um, Pay attention to the game, not your phone. That was a line drive off of Arhenis Angulo. Hey, just put down your phone and pay attention to get. They're hitting 113 mile per hour line drives into the seats, bro. I saw Giovanni Urshela, who's a good third baseman, take one off the ankle in the actual game with with a glove on his hand in the playoffs. I'm not better than Giovanni Urshela at defending line drives at my face. So and the line drive went just over the net too. So maybe they just – why don't they make the whole field out of the net? Anyway, um, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about – I saw my life flash before my eyes. Uh, Astros announcing what uh, pitch they would throw. Yeah, I think – the thing that makes it so difficult is that some of the players aren't on the team anymore. So if you're going to punish the 2020 Astros, it's like – it's only half measure. It's, it's half unfair. But – I'm all for it, though. I mean, we talked about it. Um, Yeah, I think that would be good. Well, remember Trevor Bauer always said he wanted to announce what pitch was coming. Maybe the whole time he was just hinting that the Astros were 
doing that. <laughs> uh, 48 Indians on Twitter. Tweets at Selby as Godcast. Two questions. One, Savali's final line for 2020. Uh, we can get to that. Number two, most importantly, you've got a potato, roughly one pound. How long does it take to cook thoroughly? <laughs> I will have to look up my uh, science fair project results from 2002 or whenever that was. That's funny. To get that um, inside joke reference, you're going to have to go back and listen to the last episode. Sorry. That's all the hints I can provide. Got it. Can't miss an episode. Savali's interesting. I don't. I have no idea what to expect from him because I, all I knew about him going into last year when he got called up was that, you know, he threw in the low 90s and like, he had great command, and then, I'll just never forget, watching him pitch in Minnesota and he's throwing like 95 with tons of movement and I'm like, who is this guy? Um, I mean, he made 10 starts last year. Nine of them were really good. And you would think, I mean, he seems like a smart dude. You'd think he'd come back and, and have found some things to work on. Of course, as you know, trying to ask him about those things, you're not <laughs> going to get much because he's like Kluber, very soft-spoken, doesn't reveal much, and said, eh, he just tried to work on everything. Okay, well, then he's going to win the Cy Young in 2020. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so Volley is an interesting case where there's some of it that doesn't feel... He can pitch this. There's no way he could pitch the same way that he pitched and avoid the hard contact in which he did. I mean, he was among the best in avoiding barrels last year. Didn't give up a ton of hard contact. Um, exit velocity, 83rd percentile. X Woba in the 84th percentile. Uh, fastball spin, 85th percentile. And curveball spin, 96th percentile. It's like, man, you were you were good last year. I think probably some of that is some regression is probably destined yeah. to come his way but at the same time when you're when you have somebody that has the, the fastball spin that he does and the curveball spin that he does if you can't find some way to maximize those two things right out of the oh jeez are you all right <laughs> man no these foul balls you gotta what are they watch. targeting <laughs> you at this point no i think that hit the mike chernoff's booth my god but he looks to be okay. And a round of applause. If he just goes and does the same things he does last year, probably not going to be as good. But he's got such a good palette of things already there. That's like, man, if you just work on some, some more things, maybe focus on throwing the curveball a little bit more and, and utilize that fastball the way that he did last year and can use it more up in the zone. I mean, God, he, he, there are some, some things there that really make me intrigued to see what he can do because he is a smart guy, a very cerebral guy, and I don't, I don't anticipate much getting by him as far as the development uh, of 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 himself. Yeah, I didn't he's answer the third I, round pick. People forget I didn't, that just because they didn't know who he was coming up through the minors. Like he was first, then Bieber, then Plesak. So there is a reason why the Indians have liked him for a long time. I didn't answer the uh, question whatsoever. I don't think I've answered many of these questions. Final line for Savali. He was going to win 24 games, uh, but has an ERA of 550. I don't know how it's going to happen, but that's just... It's a lot of run support. <laughs> Puig, Puig driving in all the runs? <laughs> but that's pretty much what a lot of Charles Nagy's seasons looked like, looked yeah. like uh, when you... Either A, play in the steroid era, and B, play for the Indians. You're going to give up a lot of runs and get a lot of run support. 
feel like Chad uh, OJ, too. Yeah, there you go. Matthew, why is Oscar Mercado continuously looked upon by the national media as a below-average outfielder? Yeah, I don't understand that. The only thing I can think of is that series in, in New York where he played left field for two days and had a rough couple of days. But he graded out really well defensively in center field and, like, passed the eye test, too. I mean, I think maybe at times he, he made life a little bit more difficult on himself than he needed to and then wound up making like incredible diving plays to save games um but yeah i i don't understand that he's got all the gifts to be a, a talented defensive outfielder 86 87th percentile outs above average 69th percentile nice an outfielder jump so he's above average in jump and what he doesn't the jumps that he doesn't get initially he makes up with by the fact that he's got 97th percentile sprint speed. I think he's just fine in center field. He's not Delino to Shields good, but he is perfectly fine in center field. He's an above average defensive outfielder in center field. All right, final one. Let me pick a good one. Mike says, guys, hashtag Dear Godcast, all the injuries so far, do you think the front office regrets not being more aggressive so they have insurance for these types of scenarios? Well, I think if the front office had the flexibility, they probably would have added more depth in all across the roster. That's, I mean, depth is something that keeps front offices up every night. And so as the Rockies take the lead on a wild pitch. Yeah, I think you hear front offices say all the time, like, when you think you have enough pitching, go get more. So I think if you're the Indians, it's like you didn't not add more pitching because you didn't think you needed it it's just what was afforded them financially the outfield i don't i don't know we made such a big deal for so long about you know they have like mercado in center and that's all we know and just the signing of domingo santana simplified things so much because you know reyes is probably gonna be in right you know mercado is gonna be in center and you know luplo's gonna be in left at least part of the time so at most you have one real opening and that's to platoon with luplo and maybe you know give Domingo Santana some rest at DH too. You can move guys around, but there's not a ton of opportunity. So I think it's really just you, Delano DeShields is going to make the team. He's probably the fourth outfielder. I think it's either Bowers or it's one of the other guys. Um, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think you're going to carry like seven outfielders. You can follow the podcast on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Google, Spotify. We do thank everybody that slides in there and gives us a five-star review, drops a nice little comment on Apple Podcasts. It does help us rise up the rankings, helps other people find the podcast as well. Word of mouth is also tremendous too. I know you guys do an excellent job of bringing friends in to listen to the podcast and it refle- it's been reflected in the numbers throughout the off season where there might not be a ton to talk about, but you guys continue to listen. So that's a testament to you and your dedication and uh, we love you for it. Any final words? I have plenty that I will save for the next podcast. Until then, you be safe, Zach. I don't want to see you getting crushed by any baseballs between now and then. And everybody else be good. We're out of here. See ya. The Selvius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at Godcast. Thanks for listening.